Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is Precursa, the startup journey. And today we're continuing our lovely entrepreneur experience series. And today our guest is Emily Sylvester, who's the founder and CEO of Nurture Talk, which is a health tech startup reinventing how women get infant feeding support and information and making that more accessible to all women and families. Emily has a whole ton of letters after her name because she's a pediatric registered dietitian and breastfeeding consultant, and she's passionate, she's ruthless in her commitment to bringing equity and support to all women and families, and her perspective will be invaluable to you, O oh loyal follower and listener. Welcome to the show, Emily. Oh, it's so nice to be here. Good to see you, Cynthia. <laughs> it's good to see you too, my dear. Why don't you start by telling us just a little bit about yourself, how you came to be an entrepreneur, you know, sort of your journey. Yeah. So yes, I did many years of schooling uh, to become licensed <laughs> as a registered dietitian and did an internship at the National Institutes of Health um, down in Bethesda, Maryland. And after that, I was like, just like, er yearning for more pediatric experience. And so I started my career in early intervention, if anybody's familiar with that, the zero to three. And I was in people's homes, like one-on-one -on -one with them, with their feeding difficulties, how hard it is to get home from the hospital, not know how to breastfeed or bottle feed. And they just send you home with nothing. And so that's yeah. where my passion for this space began. And from there, I, you know, got a, a outpatient position uh, at a hospital where I got to work again, one-on-one -on -one with families in the home and in the clinic with other professionals in the space, making sure that children grow and thrive. And that's zero to five years. And from there, I was just realizing in my NICU follow-up clinic that there's just no great solutions now that are turnkey, right? That a mom can mm. sign up for information and that information and support follows them from when they have to feed the baby on the outside, right? Oh, and yeah. so that ref the referral system, there's great community programs and amazing lactation consultants that I have the pleasure of working with every single day, but there needed to be a tech solution to bring everything together. And so that's where mm. Nurture Talk is. And I got the startup bug. I was pregnant with, it was 2019. I was pregnant with my third baby and driving home being like, I got to solve this. I'm going on maternity leave. Hey, let me join an accelerator program because that's going to be super easy with three kids and a newborn baby. But I pitched five days before Craig was born and got into the accelerator and he was two weeks on my chest going to business classes and pitch wow. practices and it was a, a program out of Cape Cod, the Cape Cod chapter of E for All, and they were amazing. I think there's a chapter out in Colorado, too, if I'm remembering yeah, there, right. There probably um, is, yeah. Yeah, and so that's where it all started. And I launched six months later my prototype where we were texting one-on-one -on -one with moms 24-7 a, a day to really test the service. Is this something moms want? 
Is it something that the healthcare system wants? Does it work? And so that's brought us today where I'm now deep into being a startup (laughs) CEO. (laughs) And where are you today? Talk a little bit about sort of what's been going on the last couple months and, and also maybe talk a little bit about how long has the journey taken? Because, you know, a lot of times on the, you know, the show, we're about dispelling myths that might either make an entrepreneur not want to try or make them feel like the way that their journey is going is wrong or, you know, and one of those myths is the overnight success myth. And I think, you know, you and I have been, have known each other and been working together for over a year now, I think. And your journey is a very, very typical one. And so, you know, just talk about where you are now, what, what's been going on and how long has it taken to get to this point? Yeah, I certainly came into it um, with huge imposter syndrome. You know, (laughs) being a clinician and a scientist, right? Being like, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to be profitable and I can quit my job and do it, right? (laughs) And I think the typical story we hear is the 23-year-old who is out of college or finds a problem and can live in their parents' basement and build it, which is amazing. I mean, uh, such great stories and products have come out of that. But I came into it being like, I hold the health insurance. I have a very stable job that I trained a long time for. And how the heck am I going to have the time to build this? And so That imposter syndrome continued as I kept building because companies whose CEOs I was working with and talking to were like building so much faster than me, but I had to really stay grounded and be like, look, I only have so much time. My family is still important. Just because I'm not building it as fast, I can still build it smart. And so I, I really had to keep that in mind. And still today... Three weeks ago, I finally, you know, gave my resignation for my job. I'm full-time in Nurture Talk now, but that's been over two years of doing this. I mean, Craig is two. He turned two in July, and that's 2019 was when I did my accelerator program. Wow. And I think the biggest thing to think about is building smart is so much better than building fast for the most part, right? Yeah. And that's where I decided to do this prototype where I had a contracted out app that was already used in healthcare. I didn't put any money into tech. I'm going to test this and I'm going to figure out the features and the systems that I need to make this successful. And that took time. That took a lot of time. Yeah. I love that you said that. There's this thing that I heard originally in exercise, but I hear it in lots of things now where they say, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And, you know, to your point, if you learn how to be smart, then you can figure out how to grow like crazy, right? But without, if you don't have any knowledge of what it takes to, to close a good customer or to find a good partnership or, or how to service the customers you do have, growing fast is going to be the absolute worst thing that could happen to you. <laughs> so on the podcast previously, I've talked several times about the 99 second pitch. And we have tried, we have worked so hard on this at Precursa. The origin of this was you, my friend. And so I wondered if you would be willing, because I know you just, you know, revised it for for a pitch event that you did the other day. Would you be willing to do the 99 second pitch for our audience and show them what something like that looks like? Sure, sure. And and I did this because of a competition that that I had won back in April, actually. 
But I'm so thankful for that experience, even though at first I was like, holy cow, 99 seconds. Like (laughs) how in the world do you do that? But guess what? Once I had that, that goes into any one pagers you do, that goes into any conversations that you have. And then longer pitches kind of stem from that because even the longer pitches, you have to be short and sweet and concise and clear. So I'd be happy to. Okay, great. Whenever you're ready, you take it away, my friend. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There are 4 million babies born in the U.S. each year. 50% are eligible for Medicaid insurance for low-income families, where these babies have more feeding challenges because, unfortunately, more likely to be born prematurely or low weight as compared to babies of higher income. The problem is affordable baby feeding help at home is unreliable for hard-to-feed babies, and reliable infant feeding help is expensive. My name is Emily Sylvester, an infant feeding expert and founder of Nurture Talk. Nurture Talk is the first ever on-demand HIPAA-secure nutrition care mobile app for all baby feeding needs. We are a B2B and B2C subscription service. Any mom will be able to access nutrition tracking, preventative monitoring, evidence-based products, and daily coaching from dietitians as the only licensed experts in mom and baby nutrition healthcare. Product Market Fit is established with our six-month clinical trial. Through 5,500 HIPAA-secure phone messages using one staff, breastfeeding success and mom feeding confidence were doubled for users. Our software engineers have experience as the first to build HIPAA-secure messaging for Amazon Web Services, and I have partnership from over five sales channels, such as Breast Pump and medical device companies, so that we can grow to $5.3 million in revenue with 50% service margins in 24 months. I'm seeking pre-seed investors to join me and build this solution for baby feeding equality, because in the words of Winston Churchill, there's no finer investment for any community than putting milk into babies. Wow, that was awesome. (laughs) I wish I had an applause track because that was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm curious to hear because you do have such a clinical scientific kind of background, right? Explain how how do you come up with an idea where you look at something that's completely not tech related? I mean, there's almost nothing about breastfeeding other than maybe some of the tools that moms have available to them that is really about tech. How do you, how does that spark happen? Like you talked a little bit about it, but how do you make that leap from, especially because you've never done tech before? Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of learning and and reading, obviously, about even the basic terms around it to say, this is Mm. what I want to do, but how do I even start to describe it? Um, It's like almost learning English to me, and I'm still learning English, (laughs) like all these terms and what I'm building, and is it a web, is it a mobile, like, is AI involved, (laughs) like... Don't use the word AI because that's used too much, but you got you, you to use this word. But anyways, I, I digress. It really comes down to my experience around being a scientist, right? You come up mm. with this hypothesis, right? And from that hypothesis, you say, this is a problem that exists in the, in my case, infant feeding community. Yeah. How do I take that technology and directly apply it to that missing piece. Yeah. And going from there and doing your methods section, like this is how I think it's going to work, but then break down those methods to even smaller pieces to say, even before I build out the tech, how can I test that 
the systems that the tech would put in place would work for healthcare, mm. right? Yeah, I love that. Because in the case of healthcare, you can't just come up with like a cloud-based solution and be like, here, mom, use it. <laughs> and I feel like so many companies that are not successful in the healthcare space do that. They come in with lots of experience around building technology or business growth and they build something, but if the customers and healthcare industry doesn't resonate with it, it's not going to take off. Yeah. Or you have to pivot so significantly, right? To yeah. maybe only be provider facing or maybe only being IT for healthcare hospital system facing, right? And if that's what yep. you want to do, fine. But really looking back to that hypothesis. And my hypothesis was I need to get evidence-based tailored, understandable information to moms in the fastest case possible that does not cost a lot of money. And that's really hard. So I had to break it down really small, which is why I just started with texting. I'm like, you sign up. We did A-B testing for pricing and how they sign up and the marketing funnels to say, one, what's the easiest way to get them on? And use it and what's the price point that they want to come on. Because from there, whatever we build out now comes back to that hypothesis and did we prove it or not? And if we didn't prove it, what are those things that we need to do differently? Yeah, I love that. You point out that this is a very scientific process. And I think one of the challenges that I see with entrepreneurs a lot of times who are not brought up or trained in a scientific method is they think, oh, well, my, you know, my best friend from college or my brother, sister's nephew's cousin can write, you know, software, can can build me a mobile app. So why wouldn't I just build something and put it out there? And I, I love the message, which is any time that you spend doing anything that you haven't proven or that isn't the smallest amount you could do in order to prove the next thing is going to end up being a waste in one way or another. And better to waste small, you know, this, this, is, this is that whole concept of fail fast, right? It's like if you waste small, you fail fast and then you can pivot and you're not as invested, whether that's time, energy, emotional investment. I mean, so many people get so attached to, you know, the mm-hmm. thing they came up with, right? And that, that can almost be the death knell of something new. <laughs> so... All right. So what would you say, you know, in your experience is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur? I would say that even though you're using the scientific method, it doesn't mean everything has to be perfect, right? That (laughs) science experience, I'm going to go back to science. The science experience doesn't have to be perfect to get the results, right? So for example, in my early mentors were like, look, don't put a lot of money into a website. Because it's going to change and then you have to dump more money. Like simplest process, simplest customer flow, less information possible. And for me, that was really hard. So yeah, yeah, I overdid it sometimes, right? And I had (laughs) too many options on my website and, you know, not a clear, you know, call to action and maybe brought in entities or services way before I needed them just because I was like so worried about being compliant, right? Like, Mm, am I going to be compliant and seen as a real startup, right? And so, you know, I said earlier, building smart, but it is kind of 
smart and dirty, right? You just, you have to, that sounded really weird, but hopefully we get what I'm trying to say here. Um, But yeah, and just get second and third opinions, right? You find people Mm. who you extremely trust, but I feel like in entrepreneurship, we get so excited to find people that are in on our mission and believe in us that sometimes you know, it can be a case where you don't feel like you need second and third. But mm. just because so many opinions are coming your way and you trust the person, it doesn't mean it's always the right thing for you. Yeah. And finding those people that you trust is one of the most important things. But keeping that in mind, right, that yeah. the thing in your head or how you describe it might not have been the exact way you wanted it to come out. And then the advice that they're going to give you might not be the right thing for you. So having other opinion options and not being afraid to ask for it, right? Getting on the phone, I feel like informational interviews were always my friend, but feeling comfortable and asking dumb questions. Because if you don't ask the dumb questions, you're going to get out and be (laughs) like, I heard all this amazing things, but I don't understand it because I didn't ask the dumb question. And now what am I going to do with this information? Mm, Yeah. I love what you said. I I feel like... There is a trend, and I I will be honest, I interview a lot of female entrepreneurs because this is one of my favorite group of people, right? I feel like there's a trend that women get better than men do, and it's what you touched on, which is understanding you're going to get input, you're going to get insight, you're going to get coaching, and knowing what is a fit and what is not. And I wonder what you think about, is all coaching the same? Is all advice the same? And how do you know? what's right and what's not. All advice is certainly not the same, especially (laughs) when it's coming from people who are not kind of understanding your background, right? Mm. And I think maybe that comes from female, male. I mean, the first people I had conversations were were the older white male investors, business people that I look up to, yeah, but the information that they provided – kind of had a little bit of a veil on it, right? Because we weren't mm. able to get at the true things that I really wanted to ask or I didn't feel like I wanted, I could ask them. And so I think going with gut and mm. realizing that is the best thing that you can do most of the time, that that knowledge is coming in and your brain is working at a million miles a second, especially being a entrepreneur, CEO, founder, right? But really taking time. What I started doing was after each meeting, like making sure I had at least three minutes, like literally three minutes to go back and say, how did I feel about that meeting? Yep. How do I feel about the person? How do I feel about the information? And how do I feel about what I'm going to do with it? And jot that down because come an hour later, two days later, three days later, you're going to go back to what the information you wrote and forget about those feelings. And it's harder to go on your gut then because you just like, oh, I need to do this, this and this. And you get into the to do list frame of mind versus my heart. And is this really the right advice? Yeah, I love that. I love that. What do you think is the most important like personality trait or characteristic that someone should have to be a successful entrepreneur? Uh, right now, uh, I the word flexibility comes right into my mind. Mm. And that's flexibility with your life, your personal life, 
flexibility with what you're building. And like you said early, not not becoming too attached to what it is, always keeping your mission and your passion up at top, but realizing that the actual thing is going to change. And if it doesn't mm. change, sometimes that's not a good thing, right? Because yeah. you're just pushing and pushing on something that isn't 100% going to work. I mean, for instance, with me, you know, building the texting piece, I love the feedback from moms and how successful it was. But I kept pushing how I was marketing it for longer than I probably should without realizing that I need to shift really soon because these moms, I'm marketing to them when they don't even realize they're going to need the help. They're more, oh. they're more interested in like, how am I going to have this baby? Like, <laughs> what is going to happen then? And what is the, the nursery going to look like when I bring them home? Which is all exciting and normal. They're not thinking about how am I going to get to feed them or what is breastfeeding going to look like. And so I really had to shift what that model looked like and how it looked in my mind that I had seen knowing what I knew clinically. Um, So that's just an example. And flexibility, yeah, flexible. I mean, your day will shift, your meanings will change. This new project, this opportunity to come up, you've got to do that instead of like (laughs) – hitting up the other million things that you need to do. And, you know, so I I think that's the biggest thing that comes up for me in in my space where I'm at now. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Talk to me a little bit about what is it, what is it like? You've mentioned it a couple of times, you know, you, you had just had your, your third kid, you're starting this accelerator. How does being an entrepreneur impact a family and your family life? And, you know, if, if, if you had to give advice to someone who wasn't the 23-year-old in their parents' basement, but who did have a career and a family to support and was trying to sort of juggle all this stuff, what would that advice look like? Yeah, I think it would it would look like always having that one, three, five-year plan. Write mm. it down, put it somewhere where you can see it so that that can help drive you, but try as hard as it is to live in the day. And Mm. I think every week thinking about if I look back on this week, five, 10 years from now, when I'm at the, when I'm like achieved that five-year goal, because you can (laughs) do it, you can do it. Am I going to be happy about what that journey looks like? And I think that comes down to thinking about family time, keeping your passions. And I think one of my best friends from, from grad school, I was talking to her the other day and I was like, I'm done with my clinical job. I can do this full time. You know, I'm excited for more time and getting back to things that really drive me. I mean, obviously founding a business drives me, but there's there's more. And yeah. she said to me, she's like, Emily, I can't even remember what your passions are. Oh. And And it took me a minute to be like, yes, they are this. Do you remember when we used to do this? And I think that was really a wake-up call. Not that I regret the last two years, but having that advice to like really as busy as you are and as much passion as you have for what you're doing, try to live in the day and say, Mm. am I I happy about how it's going? Because in the end, if you're not happy about how it's going, you're not going to be successful. Yeah, I love that advice. Gosh, that's amazing. One of the things that I am... You know, I've been doing this a long time, right? We've talked about that. And, you know, I coach a ton of entrepreneurs and building whole bit. I mean, precursors a whole business around 
working with entrepreneurs and helping them get to the places they want to be. And I am, I still struggle with that balance. And, you know, we talked earlier about fast isn't always best. And then now we've talked about balance. And I wonder, is it possible to have a life and be an entrepreneur? I think that's what I want to ask. I'm going to say yes, but don't let those days where you feel like you don't have a life stop you. And what I said mm. too, I, I did a live a while back about being an entrepreneur in the mama baby space. And I said, if you find something that you are so passionate about and you love and you can think about the hardest day in your life, but you still have to do the stuff, will you be happy doing it? And for me, that's yes, because this is my passion. This is what I want to do. But first of all, you need to choose something where the work is not work because it Mm. is work and it's going to be a hell of a ton of work. Yeah. And so realizing that that hard work has to be happy for you too. And I think what's super hard for founders like me who have been in a position where my goals would be, I see this many patients, I do this, I do my notes, I go home. And realizing that entrepreneurship is a lot different than that. So thinking about how you split up your family time and your business time always has to be considered. And that was really hard for me. I founded my company and launched the first week of COVID. So I was home. I was home working my clinical position and I was home doing stuff for Nurture Talk and my kids were home too. And so (laughs) what happens is that space for work and that space for family gets all jumbled up. And Mm. I think that happens. I think in my case, it was extreme just because of the pandemic circumstances. But but I have an inkling talking to other founders who are moms that that happens all the time. And so it's you can have a life and you can do this. And the hardest thing and the best thing to do is try to create that space, whether it's a schedule book where you color code it and you create like meetings, like this is my work time. This is my non-work time and try to stick to it. And I had a really hard time with that because I was just like, I have to have this meeting or else I can't move forward. I have to do this thing or else I can't move forward. Right. And um, so trying to do that as much as possible, because then you can. And and I think my last thing about that is being really open with your kids or your family about what you're doing. You know, they really understood what I'm doing. They didn't really understand. Right. But they understood that I'm (laughs) building something. I'm building something to help these people. And if we do this and we do a good job, this is where it gets our family. Yeah. So that they have the end goal. And so when I said to my daughter three weeks ago, mommy is done with her job. She goes, that's because you are your own boss now. Right. Oh, and she, but then she said, well, that means you can just not work. Right. You can just not work when you want to. Or she said something like that. So, but she knew like that there's sacrifices that we were making, but she kind of understood why. And she's seven, right? So it looks yeah. differently for the different ages, but. Sure. Um, well, so first of all, congratulations, because that's a huge milestone in an entrepreneur's life where you've had a career and 
what did it take you to get to the point where you could say, okay, we can we can focus on this full time now? I mean, is it just about getting funding? Is there is there some other way of planning? Like, you know, what did that take? It took a lot of the universe, right? And that feeling. <laughs> it took obviously funding and figuring out where my family needs to be to do that, which is different mm-hmm. than the college kids in the basement, right? I think those decisions are a lot different. And it took people who I had found to surround me to say, it's okay. You are in a good space. This is not a dumb decision, right? This is not you know, you're going to found this thing. You don't even know if it's going to work. Right. Cause sometimes you're so invested in it that especially me who analyzes things, I'm like, am I really doing this good enough? Right. Mm. And so finding those people to say that you trust to say, no, you're in a good place and we're going to back you in this. And this is, this is why it's a good time and really feeling that. Yeah. I love that. So tell us about a time when you faced a challenge as an entrepreneur, or maybe even something that you're facing now. And how have you been handling that? And, you know, like, how do you handle challenges as an entrepreneur, I guess? Like, what are what are your how do you how do you do that? Have a glass of wine a night? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can do that now and and shift now that I don't have three jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no. Talk Thanks. a little bit about how has fundraising been for you? Has that been challenging? And how have you how have you sort of dealt with that and overcome those challenges? Yeah, I think you're reading my mind because I'm definitely like the biggest challenge I think it is is raising money sometimes. And I think it also comes from being a middle-class mom of three raised by the a dairy farmer, the hardest working people I know, yeah. where my path to funding and being able to build looks a lot different than mm. some of the other people who are founding who have tech backgrounds. Like one of my early advisors was like, what are you building? Because do you want to build a healthcare company or do you want to build a tech company? So yeah. my first week in my accelerator, I had to say, I'm building a tech company and this is why I'm comfortable with it because that looks different than the challenges that come up when you're just building like a lifestyle or a, you know, home visiting company. And I'm using personal yeah. experiences here for yeah. those examples, but I think it comes down to every founder, right? Having to make that decision. Like, what does that five years look like? So that Mm. when challenges come up, you can say, is this challenge something that is really going to affect those five years? Or is this challenge just something that like sucks right now? And I can, (laughs) you know, get through it and change my decision. Say I'm sorry, right? Saying I'm sorry and acknowledging that it was a mistake is one of the biggest things to do because then you can just move on because there's yeah. going to be challenges, there's going to be mistakes, and there's going to be a lot of them. But looking at that five years and saying, this is what I wanted to found, build, and is this challenge something I need to work through to get through? Or is it yeah. really not that big of a deal? Yeah. Perspective. Yeah, perspective. I love that. So if you could give other entrepreneurs one piece of advice, what would that be? I'd say... Never think about quitting on your hardest day. Ah. Because, and this is something that I say to my breastfeeding moms all the time too. 
you know, it's going to, it's hard and you're having a really hard day, but don't make those decisions when you are down in the trough of sorrow. Is that what they call it? The trough of sorrow. <laughs> yes, the or, trough of sorrows. Or like a really challenging day or things are just going wrong. Like don't even entertain those ideas about quitting or shifting or, or even doing anything on those days. Do it on days where when your head is clear and you can really mm. think through what happened. I think is my biggest thing because, you know, founding a company is is kind of burying yourself in the sand and then the waves kind of come and get you out sometimes, <laughs> right? It's it's yes. so up and down and up and down. And, you know, even just describing how it feels to people who don't know startup life or building a business is just really hard because of that fact, right? It's not yeah. a, it's not a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. It's never a straight line. And I think that's the thing about the overnight success myth and all these other things that you hear. First, you have to, you know, have your idea and then you go validate it and then you raise money and then you launch and that like, it's like, no, it just that that's oversimplification of something that is ultimately a journey, right? And and every path is a little bit different. So I love that you said that. I I, I totally relate to that right now too. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, I'm gonna give you a statistic and I want you to tell me what you think about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So forty-two percent of startups fail because no one wants what they're building. So I think that's an interesting statistic. I think that there is some truth to it, right? You have to do your market validation and you have to do it truthfully. You have yeah. to talk to people. You have to know who you're building for, number one. Yeah. Because any idea can be a good idea, but if it doesn't completely solve the problem for the person you're selling it to, it's not going to work. Yeah. However... As you're testing it and not wanting to be one of those 42% <laughs> of companies that fail, I feel like we also have to look at how they're failing, right? Mm. Is it because they don't have the resources to do that testing? Is it because they don't have the knowledge mm -hmm. on how to do it or don't have the support, right? Don't, don't have that backup. And, and I think that statistic really resonates with me because of the statistics around like successful breastfeeding too. I'm going to bring breastfeeding mm. up again because yeah, obviously. Please. Yeah, please. It, you know, where, you know, 80% of moms start breastfeeding and then exclusive breastfeeding rates at six months fall to 25%, 25%. Wow. And that is not the mom's fault. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, that is the system's fault and that is related to what is her around her to make her feel like she can do it, right? Wow. And the resources she has to achieve it, right? Yeah. Because it's never black and white most of yeah. the time. And so I, I think similarly when we think about success of startups is, you know, where are people coming from and what do they have for that support and the environment to help them do that? So I, now I'm curious – I don't have children of my own. I have stepchildren. So obviously I didn't give birth to, the, birth to them. I have never, you know, breastfed or had to feed an infant, you know, or been responsible for the feeding of an infant in that way, right? Maybe this is also a myth and you can, you can dispel it for me and the rest of the audience. Is breastfeeding not just sort of like, it just kind of happens? I mean, <laughs> is it, I, I guess it's like, 
breast child. I, you know, and, and forgive my ignorance, but I really am curious. And what are the impacts of breastfeeding for a child or for a community or, or, you know, like, so talk a little bit about that because we have an audience that is, there's a lot of female entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. a lot of people who maybe have had children or would like to have children. And I think you could probably dispel some myths in this area. And I think that's part of what you're trying to do in your company too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of areas where when we think about it and what we vision having a a child that is just going to happen. And that's kind of a little bit around the uh, society around breastfeeding and the culture of breastfeeding where a lot of women didn't grow up watching their mom or their, you know, siblings breastfeed just because of the way the industry has kind of led us down to thinking is best for the baby. And so most mom and babies can breastfeed, right? So it most of the time, it's not because your body can't do it. There are instances where that is the case, but that's not the 75% drop-off in rates, right? The 75% oh, wow, yeah. drop-off in rates are how we help moms to breastfeed, get through challenges. I mean, imagine if you had a four-year-old and a brand new bike and you were like, here you go, here's your bike, just go ride it. Do we ever do yeah, that? No. No, that would never happen. Somebody is there, dad is there running them down the street for four days in a row yeah. so that they can learn to ride the bike. And that's what breastfeeding needs to look like. Moms mm. need somebody by them side by their sides at times that they need the help to encourage them, tell them that they are doing it right, or be preventative and saying, like, doing this can help it make it easier. And that yeah. our society is not set up to help moms like that right now. Hmm. Why not? (laughs) So there's a great video that is out. I think it's by the World Health Organization, but it talks about how industry has changed our support for breastfeeding. And so in early in the 1900s, it, it started to be seen that breastfeeding was for the lower income families, right? Because higher income families could afford formula and the formula companies and marketing did a really good job of pushing that and they still do. And so a lot more energy and marketing and support comes from companies who want to make money on moms versus organizations that are trying to support moms in their decision to how to feed their baby. So Mm. where I come from with Nurture Talk is we want to be the most unbiased source of infant feeding information because I don't know if we realize that moms are one of the most marketed groups of people in the world because when you even take a pregnancy test or start looking at Babies Are Us online, formula companies and companies that don't directly support breastfeeding know it and they start targeting you. And what happens is even some of these organizations that support feeding, they have alternate motives or funding from these organizations that don't directly support breastfeeding. And so my mission with Nurture Talk to say, I'm a dietitian. I recommend formulas. I recommend bottles. I recommend breastfeeding and help with that as it matches healthcare clinically what's right for the baby. And that should be what Mm. happens 100% of the time. I am not saying you have to breastfeed. I'm saying that if whatever your decision is, we are the clinicians and the experts to help you get there without any alternate missions. Got it. I love that. I love that. And and what is the impact of 
one kind of feeding or another on a child? I mean, assuming is it really about what's best for the child? And how do you how do you know that? This is a tricky question. And the reason why there is such big talk around mom shaming and, you know, the the thoughts around breastfeeding and how we treat bottle feeding is because scientifically we know that the infant's gut and long-term health is absolutely benefited by breastfeeding. I mean, a mom in in the caves back in, I don't know, what's an era? Whenever. Yeah. Whenever. <laughs> the caveman era. You know, they were made to breastfeed, right? They were not yeah. made to have something else. However, mm. what is most healthy for mom and baby is what works best for them. And so I think where we get in trouble around supporting breastfeeding and supporting feeding is when our, as a healthcare system, as a community, as a a commerce system, put our mission and feelings ahead of the moms. And I think if we don't do that, I think more moms will be successful in breastfeeding because that guilt is taken away. So thinking that breastfeeding 100% scientifically improves uh, development, it improves gut health, it decreases risk for food allergies, it decreases risk for obesity. I mean, the list goes on and on. But that is not most healthy if mom is having a hard time or doesn't want to do it, Yeah. right? Because then we want to look at how is the baby thriving and how is the mom thriving together? Mm, I love that. Oh my gosh, I love that. I, I love your mission. And I love how your heart is really about women and babies getting what they need and what works for them. And I love that, you know, you're you're trying to kind of create this distinction between, you know, you said society and commerce, and that's exactly what it is. It's like, we're not going to impose our values and our desires and our wishes and our agendas on you. We want you to be able to do what's right for you and everything else should come secondary to that. So I love that. Thank you for that. It's such an important mission and I appreciate that you are looking at it in, in such a great way in such a new way. And it's, I just, I'm really appreciative of what you're doing for, for women. Oh, thank you. It's, okay. it's great to have you along this ride with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you, you know, a, a fun question. If you could do anything else, like have any other job other than your own, what would you most like to try? Oh, this is so funny because just this morning, my husband and I were talking about, we just moved. So part of me being comfortable going full time is because we were able to move or secure in a house and I don't have to worry about (laughs) buying a house or or doing anything else for the family for a little while. We were talking about redoing the kitchen, which isn't going to happen soon, right? Because moving is expensive and... I'm going to have to wait on that. But we were talking about little things. And my daughter, who was getting ready for school, she's like, Mom, maybe you should be in construction. (laughs) And I looked at her and I said, you know what? That would actually really make me happy, right? Like I like designing spaces. And I mean, when my friend from grad school was like, what do you love to do? I mean, I love to restore furniture. Like how weird is that? Like that's that's so cool. I was like, Allie, I need to get back to doing that. Right. Like on the side of building this amazing company, like I need to restore (laughs) some chairs. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what's one question you wish I had asked you and how would you have answered it? I wish 
we would talk more about, yeah, that imposter syndrome, right? Ooh, yeah. 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 Like, how does that affect building? Where does it come from? What does that mean about, like, being a female, right? Or or being somebody else that isn't quite represented in the current founder ecosystem and investor ecosystem and business ecosystem, (laughs) all of it. (laughs) So where do you think imposter syndrome does come from? And and what are, do you have any strategies for recognizing it and then dealing with it in a way that empowers you? I think it comes from, like you said, the typical vision of creating a company. Mm. And, and I, first became obsessed in doing this is because I was worked to consult for a startup company by some guys that were trying to found a breastfeeding company. And they were like, we don't know anything (laughs) about breastfeeding. Can you help me? And so I started doing that. And then I started listening to the podcast, right? How I built this, right? Where it's just like this quick synopsis about how they came successful, right? And so I came into it being like, man, these people did it and it was maybe easy for them. Like, why am I having such a hard day? Or why am I not growing as fast? And so I I think that's where it comes from. And again, getting back to what the faces currently look like in the CEO and an investment culture, right? And comparing myself to those faces where 90% of those faces, you know, don't have to shave their legs or like put three kids to bed at night and, you know, go grocery shopping every week, right? Like that's just not what I look like. And so comparing myself to them kind of added to that imposter syndrome a little bit. Yeah. So it's almost like this overnight success myth and the way that I'm going to say media in general kind of portrays success stories makes it look like we're doing something wrong when our journey feels hard or doesn't go the way that we think that it should. And I'm putting should in quotes, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I'm not, I love those podcasts that if I'm having a hard day and I'm driving the kids to school and I listen to that, I come home, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) other people lived it. I can do it. Right. But then it comes down to like compartmentalizing that into what your story looks like. And I read something on, I'm a part of Boston Businesswomen, like a Facebook group, and she wrote, don't compare your first chapter to somebody else's seventh. And I think that that is so true in what you and I and others are doing now in startups. And that's kind of, uh, that was like, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. (laughs) I should think about that. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Because it's, again, it's easy to say, you know, how I built this or other podcasts. I mean, even this podcast, we just summarized two two and a half years worth of work that you've done. And we put that whole story into what will essentially be a 45 to 50 minute podcast episode. It would be easy for someone just starting out or someone who's only six months in to be like, well, I'm not as far along as Emily is. Mm-hmm. But comparing yourself to someone else's journey is is exactly where imposter syndrome comes from. And it's not the point, mm. right? I mean, it's, that's not, that's just not, it's not realistic. Your journey is your journey. Yeah. And it, you, it, you can't cram it into a 50 minute podcast, <laughs> the actual <Yeah>. journey. <laughs> yeah. We can talk about it later in 50 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> 
And as for like what to do with it, I mean, I'm still working on that. Like I said, making sure you're living in the week to week and that week you don't look back on and you're like, what was I doing? You know? Yeah. I love that. So you mentioned how I built this. Are there any other podcasts or books or resources that you'd recommend to a group of entrepreneurs and potential investors? Yes. The Lean Startup, obviously, I think I've been (laughs) referencing a little bit. And I think you recommended it, the pitch on, I think it's Spotify, that 99 second pitch and getting ready to pitch. I mean, that was hugely helpful. And I'm very much a person that is like, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel because that takes too much time. So finding (laughs) something that's similar and being like, I'm going to take my information, right? And it's all about structure, right? How are you going to structure things and whatever you're doing, whether it's the pitch, whether it's the marketing proposal, whether it's like the investor proposal, it's like, how are you structuring it? And so those things really help me in thinking about how to structure it, taking my clinical scientific mind and bringing it to the business side. Awesome. All right. So I'll make sure to include those in the show notes so so that you guys can get some of Emily's wisdom through those resources. If anyone wanted to reach out to you or to follow what Nurture Talk is doing or ask you questions, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. So I'm at nurturetalk.com is our website right now. We're in the middle of shifting for our build. We're building the app and we're launching the app under a new name, which is super exciting. But um, so we're working on shifting that site right now to reflect that. But you can find me that find me there. And on Instagram, um, at Nurture Talk. And then I'm also Facebook at Nurture Talk. Awesome. We'll make sure to include links to that so that people can easily follow you and reach out and ask questions. And if you are a mom who is pregnant or just getting, you know, just starting breastfeeding, Emily's resources and her team and what she's building, they can help. So please, please, please use that resource. And um, I know that she would love to be able to help you get whatever goals and whatever needs met uh, for you and your baby. So thank you so much, Emily, for joining us today. Thank you for telling your story. And thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do for the community. Oh, thank you so much for your work, Cynthia. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Thank you all for joining us for this episode. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at Precursor.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer.